Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to OJ Made in America, episode three, a podcast. Um, we are uh, going to be reaching the halfway point of this um, series today, and um, it's challenging, uh, but I think that... Um, you know, it's an important series, it's an important event, um, and this episode is where we start to really get into the, um, the 1994 murder of Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman, and so that's where we're going to be right now. Um, I am hitting play so you can watch along. We are at three seconds now. And this does indeed contain mature subject matter, um, you know, and this is a very uh, L.A. kind of show and location, too. So we begin with an overview, again, showing us the city, showing us the breadth of the city, showing us... Um, the police radio called June 1994. This is the crime scene. I think there are some graphic images here. I'm very sorry. If you want to listen in a bit. Um, there it is. Yeah, you can look away for a bit. But the reason they do this is to show you what it looked like because whenever you go to court um, each side is presenting its version of a story um, and seeing crime scene photography shows you what the police first saw when they got there um, and they mentioned that you know they see the victim they realize she's OJ's estranged wife the two children are asleep upstairs um, and, uh, and they have to contact Simpson uh, and so that is their goal while they're trying to process all of this. I mean, I can only imagine what it must have felt like to realize that there were these two small children uh, who were there. And uh, the way things happened, um, they show up at Rockingham, Simpson's estate. But uh, right after they were killed... Um, O.J. had to go to the airport. Uh, they find blood on the door handle of his car. And that's what they're saying is there's blood out on, you know, on the door handle. We don't know if he's been hurt too. So it isn't even about is he a suspect. It's about, you know, was he a target as well. So they go in because they're, you know, again, probable cause enough if you see blood on the door of their car, you know, especially with a wealthy victim who could have been, you know, a kidnapping victim. Yeah, so this guy, Cato, who's like a member of the entourage, um, is living in the pool house, and he was a friend of their family um, who had uh, 
who actually was kind of a nanny for the kids too so he's just kind of like you know the buddy who lives in you know the pool house right there uh, he was talking to his girlfriend and then he hears something he's talking to his girlfriend on the phone rather he hears a pounding he wasn't sure if it was an earthquake or what it was you know and again this is like late at night if you hear something and then it stops you're like well I guess I'm okay and, he, and he's walking around this is still at night you know all of this is happening in the middle of the night he sees some brown thing looks like a dog got back there and it's a glove and it matches the glove found at the crime scene the one at Bundy the closed captioning said Ed, Ed Bundy <laughs> which I think is the guy from Married with Children. So yeah, so they bring us right into this crime that happens, you know, so even, and it kind of takes you through this person's biography and history, the, that subtitle Made in America. Um, I mean, obviously killing people isn't made in America, but, um, you know, I think that the kind of career and the kind of celebrity that you have, you know, that is certainly an American story. Um, but also that sense of, you know, ability to turn away from domestic violence, ability to, you know, not help the victims who needed help. You know, even if nothing had ever happened to her, she needed more help than she had at the time. So they're like, okay, we need a warrant to go in there because we see a bloody glove and now we realize he's probably a suspect. Marsha Clark looks great. Good for her. Um, the, uh, the issue with Simpson, too, is that, I mean, if anyone you know who has a partner or someone they're divorced from or someone they're going through a divorce from and and they, you know, are killed, um, that's automatically one of the prime suspects. You know, it's automatically someone who is going to need um, an alibi who's going to be questioned, like almost always, um, you know, regardless of whether they found any blood on the truck or anything. And everyone was shocked. Yeah, that's what he said. Your ex-husband's always a suspect. Um, you know, I remember when I was in high school, our house got broken into and I called the police and they kept asking me about boyfriends, you know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, first of all, we didn't have any money. Second of all, there weren't that many boyfriends. And third of all, I don't think anyone had a car. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they have to ask. So yeah, this is, he's very, he's right here. This guy kind of sucks, Mark Furman, but he's right. Like you only get one opportunity to sit down with the guy until the lawyer gets there and they're going to charge him. And so they have it recorded. He's thinking he can smooth talk the cops. That's exactly right. You know, these cops are pretty nice. You know, OJ, we've got sort of a problem. 
We got some blood on and in your car. Got blood at your house. And uh, it's sort of a problem. What didn't they do? Let's see. Yeah, they didn't pin down his, you know, activities that day. He's just rambling on. And they didn't get anything useful out of him. But I also think part of it is what we saw before with the way we, they talked about him and the LAPD and how men were dazzled by him. You know, obviously they didn't, you're not dazzled in the same way if he's a suspect, but like if you have to sit there and like you, you are at the same time interviewing someone about a crime, but you're also meeting this big deal celebrity you probably really admired, you might be really messed up as you're trying to ask this person questions, you know? Like the first time you meet like Brad Pitt or somebody, you have to like nail him down on something that would feel really weird. And so they're trying to treat him really gently because of his celebrity status, but that's wrong. And then they just let him go. And of course, Marsha Clark, who ends up being the prosecutor for the case, is like, I don't care about this guy. Don't let this guy go. He's a criminal. Or at least, you know, like his blood is everywhere. And, you know, he just because people recognize him doesn't mean he couldn't have done something. You know, according to her, he's a criminal. We will, we will get through the, uh, the guilty, not guilty issues. So yeah, they show all these, you know, the old cars, the, uh, well, some of the fashions will be back in style now because the nineties are back. Here's his friend closing the door. Oh yeah, his friend Ron, who was a cop as well. Different channel on each one. Watching himself on the news. He's like, what do you mean I'm a suspect? I said, OJ, what happened to your finger? I cut it on a glass in Chicago. Which is weird because if they're finding blood on his car and he says he only injured himself in Chicago and someone else asked him and he said, I was chipping golf balls. And then there we go again. And again, this is during a time when people tend not to have a camera around like the way we are with, um, like that cell phone was like the kind where you can only like type numbers into it. It wasn't like a real you know, like we have now where you can take pictures on your phone. He said, they asked me to take a lie detector test. I told them no. I said, what do you mean you told them no? He says, jokingly, he says, you know, to be truthful, Ship, I have had dreams of killing her. Hey, now. That's so sad to see. I mean, these poor, poor people. And that's the thing that's really gross about this entire case, as you see. I mean, you know, regardless of how you feel about anyone involved in it, you know, the victims had, you know, 
it just a tragic, tragic story. I mean, obviously, Nicole doesn't seem to have had a violent bone in her body. You know, she was a victim of domestic violence. Um, and, you know, Ron Goldman just seemed like a decent young guy, decent human being, which we'll learn about him some more soon. Yeah, they live in an area with really good public schools, too. The fact that they go to regular public schools um, is interesting. But again, they're by the Brentwood Country Club, and here's a nice restaurant called Mezzaluna, which I, I haven't been there, but I've been near where that was. There's a, um, I think a Chin Chin Chinese place near there. So yeah, so 9.36 p.m. after the dance recital, OJ uh, goes back to Brentwood. On uh, 9.30, Nicole's mother calls Mezzaluna looking for missing glasses. So, I mean, these are things that there would be records of. Approximately 10 p.m., Ron Goldman, who's a waiter, uh, contains, takes an envelope with Nicole's mom's glasses in it back to the house. And then around 10.15, they hear the dog barking. So it's sometime between 10 and 10.15 where whatever it is starts happening. Then at 11.15, Simpson's limo driver picks him up and he's driven to LAX. So, you know, between 9.30 something and, you know, 11 something, um, he gets in, you know, he has flexible time. He doesn't have an alibi. I mean, he's at home waiting for a car, but like you're, rich and you have a giant house you could go anywhere like nobody's going to be watching you um so he has that to prove and that to uh deal with um Apparently, Robert Shapiro, his lawyer, we learn about him. He's, you know, he tends to cut deals for people. Um, then he gets this guy, Bailey, you know, who's like they're assembling this team of, of big deal lawyers. And, uh, you know, because that's one thing that happens. You know, no matter what, if you've got money, people will work for you. You can get really expensive people to work for you. The music and the way that they put this together is hilarious. They make it look like, you know, some kind of uh, TV show from the 90s. Yeah, and his friend Ron is like, I'm not on board. He killed her. I'm not on board. I have a lot of respect for this guy. I mean, he knew Nicole. He knew OJ. You know, he knew that he hit her. He knew that he hurt her. Oh. You know, this is the thing that, you know, this is these children's mother. She's gone. You know, she's gone today. She'll be gone tomorrow. I mean, it's just, you know, and those kids are maybe 30s, in their 30s now. They have a whole life still ahead of them. Mm 
not true, but it's funny to hear the two of them. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is the kind of thing that she deserved to have rather than this media circus that ended up surrounding her life and her death. And I do love that this documentary gives us more of her and gives us her struggle and the things that she experienced that people didn't take seriously enough. You know, if in a perfect world, which we don't have, it never would have happened, but in a slightly less perfect world, she would have had a restraining order earlier. She would have had protection. Um, you know, he would have had some kind of um, intervention at some point. Like if, you know, if you are feeling violent in your ex-NFL today, I think people know to go and, and, you know, get a CAT scan, get an MRI, see what's going on in your brain and see whether you, you've had any repetitive injuries that can possibly be worked with and dealt with. Um, you know, it is, this is a possible tragedy of that. And look at this poor guy, Ron Goldman. He wanted to be a model. He was working as a waiter. His dad is like everyone's ideal dad. You know. This poor dad. Oh, look at how sad. I mean, every day he misses him. He had a floor plan of the restaurant he wanted to open. He'd written a menu. He knew the people whose art he wanted to hang on the wall. I mean, this guy. Look at him. You know, his family is just. I mean, this was, you know, their shining brother, friend. You know, this kind of happy family. Oh, and yeah, and this poor family, because he's her husband, he hasn't been arrested or anything like that, you know. I remember a black dress up to her neck because of the injuries. Yeah. They, he almost cut her head off all the way. They do show it at some point in this documentary. Um, I'm, I can't remember exactly when. I'm really sorry. Um, and again, because he is free, OJ, like he's there. And her family, if they're thinking he did it and, and he's at the funeral, I can't imagine how that felt. There he is there. Yeah, because, I mean... If you want to show that you didn't do something, you go to the things and you're there with her kids. Oh my gosh. And you imagine you lose your child and then you have to 
confront the person who you think killed her. It's horrible. Get him on, on Xanax sedated, which is probably good for everyone that, like, he wasn't actively doing anything. Yeah, I mean, no one, you know. They were all in a daze for losing this person they loved so much. And I'm glad that we see how important her life was and how important Ron's life was. See, and they call it OJ murder mystery. A deal? Nah, they all wanted a media circus. Gosh, I just, I hope for all of us that none of us are ever even remotely adjacent to a crime like this because you never get privacy again. Like, like the people in this case, as you'll see in subsequent episodes, like they all become famous. Like the judge, people knew the judge, people knew every single lawyer. Like, can you imagine poor Marsha Clark is just like rolling into work as a prosecutor and then like she has to do this, be on TV for like months on end? Ugh. And of course you're not paid that well. There she is, there's Zoe. This is what, so he was supposed to surrender, you know, it was kind of a deal to like, you know, get it off screen. And then it doesn't happen. Then it's one o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is already a big news story, even if nothing weird happens. However, it gets weirder. It gets weirder than this. So Mr. Simpson was scheduled to surrender this morning. Oh, like, imagine if you didn't do it and like you had hours between feeling like you're going to be free and then the fact that you have to go and surrender your freedom and go to jail. I can't imagine like what you do during that time. I guess eat, <laughs> maybe take a Xanax. <laughs> Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, I mean, what's your last meal? I mean, people always say, what's, what's the last meal you would have in your life? But you won't choose that one most of the time because, you know, like, it's usually too late by that point. Um, and so Zoe's like, yay, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in the helicopter. It's a helicopter story now. Let's fly that helicopter. But yeah, I wonder what my last meal would be if I could choose it before, like, going into a world of no 
no vegetables again. <laughs> I think I'd probably just eat as many vegetables as possible. Maybe seafood. He's a fugitive of justice. So they're making an announcement and they're looking for him. Yeah, they're so angry. Because it is, it is upsetting. Like, these are police officers and... Like, they already did something nice for him by letting him choose his surrender and then he doesn't do it. And they're left looking foolish and of course, you know, like, I'm not saying that the LAPD has great relationships with everyone. We've learned that from this documentary alone that there are problems. Um, you know, and again, this is two years after uh, the Rodney King riots. So it's still fresh in people's minds. You know, and this is also somebody like, so on the one hand, he's really famous, so you don't want to take him down with, like, well, I mean, no one should be taken down with violence ever, ever, but, like, it's especially worrisome to think about, um, you know, like, a well-known person being subject to physical violence on camera by police. Like, I don't, I mean, if, if you remember an instance of that that I don't, I'm certainly... Um, you know, I'll, I'll sit and stand corrected. There's Robert Kardashian uh, reading a statement. Look at that 90s hair. Get a little gray tuft. Get a little, uh, little length in the back there. So it's 5 o'clock still when he's reading the letter. And they're wondering if he's even alive. Like, maybe he realized, like, either he did it and he was scared, or he was just distraught, or, you know, like, love messes with people. There's the, you know, and there's the letter. I can't go on, no matter what the outcome, people will look and point. I can't take that. What an awful thing to write when you think about it, because, like, those poor kids, they need their mom. They can't not have their dad either. Oh, she's so beautiful. And that's the question, who is the real OJ? Like, he turned into what I think he thought was real, but... It sounds like it was all very contingent on success and public life. Now there's AC and there's uh, OJ together. They were watching one another. All of the high school stories again. A, p a starter pistol. Like, you know that if you think of starter guns, you grow up in an environment that's gun-ish. Took the gun, pull it on OJ, act like we're going to shoot him. Oh boy. That sounds like a mess. 
So they're practicing out on the field. Pulls the gun out. Everybody step back. Aww. Elle stepped in front of OJ to protect him. If you're gonna shoot OJ, you gotta shoot me first. Aww. That's a good friend. You know, like, however we want to define love, that's love. The YMCA, okay. Good job. There they go. They finally get the shot of the Bronco. Yay. You got to get us on the air, and there's the special report. So there's live helicopter footage. So this was a big deal. Um, most of you probably weren't born yet, but um, I mean, I was around and awake and watched the whole thing. Um, you know, I was home from college and yeah. I didn't even know, and a lot of people didn't know. Oh, Zoe, you're doing great. Zoe, you're still a hero, heroine. Oh. I want a documentary about Zoe. Um, but yeah, like I didn't even know that there was a murder suspect thing or whatever it was because I wasn't, you know, like focused on O.J. Simpson. I was living in New York. I wasn't living in California yet. And... Um, yeah, it was uh, amazing to see. And I had known who he was, especially with, you know, like a lot of family connections in Buffalo um, where he had played. It's so, it was so surreal then and it's surreal now. Um, when you watch these chases, uh, you don't know how they will end and sometimes it can be very dangerous sometimes you see it end and like some guy will get out of the car and they'll shoot him um or they'll have like a rumble what not rumble strips whatever they're called like nail strips that they lay down across the road so that the car's tires blow um but they didn't do that for him they didn't stop him i mean they really should have because this is you know theater more than it is justice um, yeah, this guy, I kind of, I, like, I don't like this guy because he's the one who's like, none of those guys who beat Rodney King were racist. It's like, dude, don't you know what racism is? Like, somebody is. <laughs> um, but yeah, why are they letting this happen? 
he's just he's in charge of everything it's like yeah it is like a presidential cavalcade or motorcade not cavalcade yeah maybe around the next curve they've got it marked down they'll force them to stop and they didn't do it i wonder if they were concerned that he would shoot himself or them or that you know they were worried about violence but it is disturbing that they don't do this for other people um you know or that they didn't do the sort of safer things for him this was not usual police behavior she's right yeah there you go which if oj simpson were black that shit wouldn't have happened is an amazing thing to say because he is but he doesn't read that way because of celebrity yeah no, she's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just hanging out on the freeway. And I mean, it's taking up resources. You know, this is around rush hour, I think, in LA. That looks like it, at least. You know, sun's getting a little low in the sky. You know, these people are trying to get home. And meanwhile, it's just this one car and everybody just falls in line wherever it goes. Yeah, throw the gun out the window. That's right. It's just... moaning this is when people talk and i mean i'm not going to get into a big political thing here i mean nothing is ever not political i guess but you know there are people who hear the words defund the police and and they panic um but i think when we talk about it as like reallocating funds and not putting the police in charge of this kind of mental health negotiation like you know, a restructuring could give everybody better care. Like, if, it, you know, like, this person's doing a good job, but not everyone is going to. And, you know, this is someone's life at stake. You know, if there are mental health advocates, if there are disability advocates, um, not that long ago, um, there was a, I think, 13-year-old kid uh, who was autistic who was, you know, shot during a police altercation and you know this is someone where if we they sent in a you know someone who's used to talking to kids with disabilities that might not have happened and I mean you're 13 you're a child you know and the goal is to preserve peace and that means keeping people alive too so the SWAT team guy is going to be the negotiator there you go yeah, so this guy, you know, he must have been their better negotiator guy that they got. But they were lucky that they had someone who was good at this. We don't want him to get there before us. To get where? He's going south on the 405. Oh, because he took the 5... And he got to the 405, and he's headed south, and he's getting off on Sunset. <laughs> the signs that say free OJ. Yeah, people want to be on TV. Yeah, 
Oh man. Haha. <laughs> Got it. Last run. It should have been, but it was a party. Yeah, they're right. Some amazing things happen, I guess. So this is the turn to his street. And people were just everywhere there. Oh my goodness. And it's not safe. Like, if this guy has a gun, like, how is the, any of this safe? Like, you're crowding and you're preventing him from even driving. I mean, it could also be that people didn't really know anything about the crime at the time. And they're like, oh, you know, he's so upset. It's so sad. Um... He's already been, uh, <laughs> he's already being interviewed on live TV. There you go. I mean, that is what people assume, but they didn't seem to understand that. You know, they might have assumed, oh, it's fear, not guilt, which, I mean, guilt and fear are probably connected to one another. It also makes me look back to what some of the things were that we talked about earlier in the semester related to trust and how, like, he had built up a lot of trust as the kind of athlete he was, right? You know, he was uh, trusted to take that ball and bring it as far as he could. He was trusted to run a certain number of miles per game, or not, yards per game. <laughs> I don't know. Are there miles? No, probably not. Um, you know, in predominantly white spaces, he was a trusted black figure, um, you know, especially during, you know, in more racist white spaces. Again, like if you're a white space, probably, you know, it's probably never not racist. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is someone who was trusted. So I think all of that trust that builds up, you know, he gets arrested for murder and people don't immediately think that he did it. Um, they think, oh man, him? No way. You know, so I think that's why people are cheering for him early on. You know, these people haven't seen those images. The Garcetti had. So they're eating. <laughs> oh my gosh. They had a sandwich buffet and they're watching TV. This guy is like, what is wrong with these people with their sandwiches? His face. <laughs> this sandwich is dining. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> you know, you're. Your loved one is on uh, <laughs> on national TV <laughs> running from the police in a car and you get your sandwich buffet out. I mean, I don't know. These days, somebody would probably have it on Instagram and they'd be, uh, you know, trying to get some free sandwiches from wherever they got them. Publix here. Who knows there? Garcetti joking, is he going to my house? Because everybody's rich and they live in Brentwood. 
<laughs> right, so they force him through the one gate so that he'd go in where he was supposed to. And there they are, they're all running. Multiple sniper teams. I mean, so they were ready to bring him down. Gosh, like, you know, there's this fear of um, powerful men. I see the gun, just toss the gun. Of course he's gonna pull into his house. None of this has been smart. He's looking, at, he's in the house. He's watching the Bronco pull into the driveway right where he's watching the Bronco pull into the driveway. That's so surreal. So he comes right home after all of it. I mean, I think that's how many of us would be. Whoa, is that his son? Oh my gosh, who is that? He's just trying to help. Jason, there you go, that's OJ's son. Go out and get him. So here we go. Now they're just, really, they just want to arrest him. Honestly, it's just so ridiculous. Like, you could have just, you know, turned yourself in, eaten your brunch or whatever, you know, have a mimosa and a Xanax, and you go in, and, you know, you get to pee first. I mean, these are all things, like, can you imagine, like, after this horrible car chase and stuff, they throw you right in jail after that. You don't even get to like hug your family. That just, like, that's so much worse. But I think there's a certain amount of narcissism when you don't, when you're a celebrity or some kinds of celebrity, I should say, and you don't think things will happen to you. And the longer you can delay them from happening to you, the better. And this is an example of that. If he had had a gun in his hand when he got out of the car, they would have shot him, they said. It must also suck to, like, have somebody using your nickname whom you've never met. Like, hey, Juice, like, that's your football name. <laughs> it's a solid nickname, as nicknames go. People are betting that we're going to screw this up. See, so the LAPD is aware of the optics that they have. Like, I'm not a fan. This guy seems like a decent guy. This guy seems like a good cop, if, you know. Like, he's <laughs> he seems to care about justice. And he seems to care about doing the right thing. Right. So people are really worried. Here we go. Yeah, that's 
you know, that's a common way that people talk about the police. And the reason why that's an important part of this case, uh, it ends up culminating in the verdict in a way. Um, because it doesn't become a question of Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman having justice, even though that's what murder trials should be. This becomes about, um, is justice for them more worth it than sticking it to the LAPD? And, you know, there are long, complicated cultural lead-ups to that. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, uh, like, I don't know, life coaching type things I've read in my life was, you know, don't wait for the opportunity. This opportunity is the opportunity. And, you know, and I think that's one of the things that happens in this case is that, you know, the jury kind of talked among themselves and probably thought, you know, well, when, when are we going to have a chance to do this again? This, we aren't going to have a chance to do anything to the LAPD ever again. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think your children need to see another tragedy. And he changes the subject. Ooh. Yikes. Oh my. There's the Warhol. It's all pictures of him. The Heisman, but it's mostly him. Yikes, that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking around my house and thinking, what are my pictures like and what do they say about me? And I see me and my boyfriend. I see me and the kids. I see the kids. I see one kid and then I see a picture of my other kid's foot <laughs> that was made at daycare. Um, <laughs> when you have kids, if you do, and if you don't, uh, you know, maybe file this away. Um, daycare is great in part because they do a lot of weird crafts that you would never think to do. So like, you know, when I was little, we did stuff like making a Thanksgiving turkey out of your hand and you trace it around or you do a handprint. Um, uh, the footprint I'm referring to is a green and black footprint that has little ink uh, bolts and googly eyes drawn in it and is a Frankenstein's creature. <laughs> and it's the best. <laughs> Made from a child's foot. <laughs> really anything is possible if you teach preschool. He waits till dark, that's what it is. He doesn't want to be photographed. And he says, I'm sorry, never gonna hurt you guys. And his daughter's grateful and thankful.
Yeah, they're, but they're like, they seem to be congratulating them. But I don't know. I mean, this is just a mess. Also, think about if you waste the police time like that and you have to go to prison anyway, it's going to be awful. It's going to be so bad for you. Like, don't expect fruit. You know, don't expect coffee. You know. Oh, my God. He, ev he can't even acknowledge his own identity. Or he doesn't... Yeah, it's so strange. It's just beyond strange every time I think about it. He goes to hug him. He's like, I like, I wasn't in the mood for a hug. <laughs> I don't want a hug. It's okay to never hug some guy's lawyer. <laughs> I don't want to know the guy and he wants to weep on me. <laughs> this guy's great. My dad would want to be friends with that guy. <laughs> yeah, it really is shocking. And again, we see the crime itself. We see how awful it is. But what people are focusing on publicly is this just people wanting a piece of the action. I mean, this is like, you know, early modern London where people would go and watch an execution on their day off. Like, there's this morbid fascination people have with fame, fame and crime. Oh, there's where he grew up. There's the portrait of him. There's the Coliseum where SC played, the Hollywood sign. If you watch Bojack Horseman, the Hollywood sign, Rich Stadium uh, in uh, Buffalo, or it was called that then. Um, downtown LA. LA's geography, depending on how you know about it, um, there are a lot of pockets of congested areas with skyscrapers, but it's not fully like that. So downtown LA is one, Beverly Hills is one, Century City is one, um, Mid Wilshire is another. Um, so there are a lot of pockets of density, and so downtown LA is one, um, which I think is where he is, but um, yeah, but like the local area where he lives is also in LA, and it's, you know, more spread out. It's not the way New York City is, where there's a lot more congestion. Oh, come on, Marsha. You can't say he looked like a, like a murderer. Like, you can't say that, ma'am. But, like, you know. <laughs> there we go. Now he's being read his charges. And the judge is not having it. Oh, I mean, these poor people who are gone in such a horrible way. So he says, not guilty. Her face is like, mm, okay. Thoroughly investigated. I also 
also love that, like, you know, they put a woman in charge. Good for them, right? Yeah, and she prosecuted this really famous stalker case. Um, Rebecca Schaefer was a young actress in the 80s and 90s who um, who had this weird stalker and it was harder for people to get restraining orders at that time and he just like came to her house and killed her um, and she didn't have enough protection so you know that was one of the reasons why we had more anti-stalking ordinances. Oh man, use the right there. Yeah, there he goes. An American tragedy. Um, that is the, if you haven't read it, it's a really good novel to read. And there's a film called A Place in the Sun that was a, an adaptation of it. Um, people, you know, would have recognized that the title was, you know, from a famous novel by uh, Theodore Dreiser. And it's basically about this young man um, who, uh, starts dating this working class girl at his family's factory um, and uh, falls in love with this wealthy, beautiful girl he can't be with. Um, but then he realizes he has an opportunity to be with the wealthy girl and at the same time the working class girl becomes pregnant and he kills her. So anyway, uh, this sort of like, you know, there's, that is also an American tragedy too, this desire for more. Um, and so that, you know, even if people hadn't known a lot about it, there would have been this ambition. Right, here we go. They, they had like a giant key. Um, okay, hang on, hang on a second. All right, I'm going to pause this for a second and uh, we'll continue in a minute. All right, we're back. <laughs> it's still going. I'm at uh, 53.31, um, which is about halfway. A little more than halfway. How could somebody say I could kill this woman? It's a weird way to say it, huh? I'd jump in front of a bullet for Nicole. I'd jump in front of a train. Any kind of conveyance. I'm there. That was a smart documentary move, though like the echoing of the interview recorded in jail, um, the tape recorder on the, you know, in the jail cell, kind of encourage you to imagine it. He had 10,000 in cash and a passport. I mean, the thing with 10,000 in cash is that that's the amount where like anything more than that you have to declare. So I guess he really was planning to travel somewhere. I wonder where he thought he would go. It would be Mexico, Canada. Down the. Maybe I did do it, but I'm not responsible. Yeah, and the evidence is overwhelming. I think, you know, I wanted to be very neutral. You know, there's a blood trail that leads all the way into his bedroom. I hadn't seen that much evidence in any single case ever. 
yeah. The domestic violence files. Mm -hmm. And she had material, like photos, stashed away of how he had treated her. I mean, we know about this now. I mean, this is a given. Um, Alan Dershowitz is not an awesome guy. Um, he was one of the people uh, listed by name in the Jeffrey Epstein case. But yeah, they called them the dream team because it was, you know, the best trial lawyers in, um, in the country. Uh, there was another guy who worked for, uh, who was one of Dershowitz's students at Harvard. Um, if you're interested in the law or a career as an attorney, uh, there's a really great podcast called Opening Arguments, um, where they break down current events in light of, you know, their work in the law. Um, you know, it's a really smart uh, attorney named Andrew Torres who has worked on a lot of big cases. So, um, you know, it's a neat it's a neat show because um, it's him and uh, the other co-host is not an attorney, so it's asking questions kind of on behalf of ordinary people like us. So there's Furman testifying at the beginning, sounding respectable. Yeah, he seems respectable. He remembered what it was like to search that property. It was detailed, consistent, keeps telling the same story. I think this is before men had hair products, because it's like, like, look at that. Like, there's like clearly comb marks. Maybe he's been sued. Let's take a look. Let's see if we can find, you know, ways to discredit every single person. Because when you're working on a court case, um, the person with the most money often wins. And it's because of things like this. Because you can pay someone to go in the basement. Yep. He goes in, he finds this lawsuit where he sued the pension board asking to be relieved as a police officer. He worked in Watts, considerable emotional stress and tension. He became more violent and he's racist and used the N-word. Um, well, that's a story. Um, and so this is, this is why one side can often win a case. It's not like rich, rich means better. It just means you can afford to hire more people to do all the little things. It's why, you know, similar to the way that people talk about wealth as an advantage in college admissions, um, it's not just people like paying for a library. It's the fact that you can afford all the lessons and you can afford all the people to like tutor your kid if they aren't good at a particular thing. And you can afford like, you know, all the enrichment stuff, um, you know, and there's always some, you know, a bench of people who can help you um, and that's the kind of thing that gives kids an advantage and that's the same thing with this they have a giant deep bench of people who can go out and help
one of the best things that you can do if you're involved in a court case is to do a lot of that legwork yourself and try to think about things. I mean, you can't, you know, if you're not an attorney, you don't want to do things that attorneys are supposed to do, but um, you can certainly make life a little bit easier. Here comes Johnny Cochran. My thought was, here comes the race card. Again, anyone who usually says so-and-so plays the race card, like, that's pretty suspect in general. Um, you know, Johnny Cochran is a civil rights lawyer. Then O.J. Simpson could hire anyone he wanted to. Um... And once they realized they were going to talk about the LAPD as a racist entity, and basically the way they play this case, or the way they try this case, is to think, well, who's a bigger enemy than someone like OJ, who, you know, if he kills his wife and this other guy, um, the bigger enemy is always going to be. A corrupt institution like the um, LAPD according to widely accepted ideas in LA oh yeah Detweiler they're driving they're trying to get to the hospital and a policeman pulls over this black couple And so what happens is they're sitting in their car, he asks for help, and he didn't say anything, and he shot him. He didn't even listen. Did you observe any weapons in the Detweiler car? Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to ask questions. He had to go through the county, possibly because if you were black, you couldn't prosecute or defend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he looks young. TLA. That is an LA channel. Yeah, and he's so he's trial lawyer of the year. You know, and people know who he is and recognize him on site. These are high-profile cases. You know, there's a settlement 
million dollar settlement in this death of this poor athlete too. So he's the only lawyer who would really understand how to prosecute this particular case or how to defend this particular case. Yeah, that's absolutely right. He liked celebrity trials. Michael Jackson was, you know, one of his clients. And, uh, you know, as with many attorneys, like, you know, they want a big case, whether or not the person did it. And he wanted to be kind of, you know, large, give large gestures. Oh, is this the Rose Bowl Parade? Oh, the Watts Parade. He was a Grand Marshal. So this is somebody who is a big deal, um, you know. You know. If John, Johnny wants me to go, I'll go. So I'm going to come down. I'm going to find a way to get here every day. Because it's a way to turn up for the black community. Of course, if you're black and living in L.A., you don't necessarily have any interaction with O.J. Simpson. And you don't know the extent to which he is engulfed in the white community or if he is in a more diverse group of people. Um... And that's something that has to be established. And one way that it's established is to give Johnny Cochran kind of center stage, too. You know, people wanted to hear that he hadn't done this. That's what they wanted to hear. They didn't want to hear what the victims deserved. Yeah, see, they're, you know, again, like being able to be charming. And she, so she gets kind of like a mini crush on OJ. Marsha's like, what is this? He's a big deal to other people. There's another aspect of this where um, they both say yes to the judge, Judge Ito, and he became famous at that time too. But in terms of the victims, like, I think what, you know, what hurt them more, or in addition to, you know, the difficulties and it being a celebrity case was just um, they didn't have the kind of strong identity as victims. Boy, was I set up from O.J. Simpson's trial notes. Um, I mean, people didn't know Nicole. They knew who O.J. was. People didn't know Ron Goldman. He was just like a name. But people knew who O.J. was. And it's hard to make the case of like, you know, these people as victims when there's so many other narratives in play. 
And all they did was they shifted the narrative to celebrity versus the LAPD, black celebrity versus the LAPD. And, you know, they were able to control that narrative on the defense. And they didn't move it from downtown, which people disagreed with, too. Yeah, so they, so downtown L.A. is a lot more racially diverse. Um, the western parts of L.A. are a lot more kind of privileged and white. Um, and if they had kept it near where the crime happened, he probably would have had a largely white jury. And it might have gone the other way um, but they want but what they wanted was okay, they probably thought okay we have a lot of evidence already this is going to go against him no matter what because um, he obviously did the thing they're thinking um, and so then it becomes a question of well we, we also we want to make sure we do what's fair to the black community and we don't want to seem like we're railroading yet another person but um so they did they did shift it to downtown. So they interviewed 5,000 people for jury selection. Oh wait, oh this was jury research. See that's another thing. Like, you know, just presenting the straight up evidence. Not a lot of black women would be sympathetic to him. Oh, famous athlete marries a white, white blonde woman. There you go. And so in that way, the antagonism was to her. That she's somehow responsible for his, his downfall. He was dating this woman while he was married to a black woman, but they blamed Nicole. Maybe this idea that somehow she, uh, and that's not good. You can't assume you know how someone of a different race or anyone is going to feel about you. And she's like bragging about it. I had a good way with them. What? No, that sounds really condescending. So they have all these trial simulations before they even have the trial, and they still didn't like her. All the black women said she was a bitch. So, like, that's literally what they say. So really, they could have changed. And she has to defend herself. And uh, so she didn't take it seriously enough. And that ends up being a mistake. So the, the odds are stacked against them. They still have to win. They hope that the evidence is going to be enough. Mm -hmm. Most people didn't think he was guilty were black and most people thought he was guilty who were white. They wanted younger jurors because 
less likely to have that knowledge of him as a, in his prime as a sports hero. But it's also really hard to get a jury for this kind of case because you have to sequester them, which means you have to have them like stay somewhere away from their families for the duration of the trial. Oh, sorry, I'm eating crackers. This is the last cracker though. Yeah, so he's still like the celebrity in the room. He's like, I never in my life looked at race. Now I'm counting the blacks in the room. I'm counting the Asians in the room. The system has forced me to look at things racially. Well, is it the system or is it something else? Is it that you've had this level of privilege where you never had to and now finally there's something that you need from the black community and boy you really need it. So this woman feels like she's gonna get excused right away. Yeah the way jury selection works is like you get a certain number um, during voir dire or whatever it's called where you um, you know you get certain people you can strike and you get certain people uh, you can't because you know each side only gets a certain number of those they can just say no we don't want this person on the jury and it's gonna be a long trial you know, you've got some people really want to be on it, but many people would not. I mean, my you had to be available for six months, so that's already a small pool of people. Yeah, exactly. They tend to be poorer. I couldn't, I couldn't be gone for six months under any circumstances. Yeah, so the, smart, the smarter jurors, the more educated jurors, you know, weren't necessarily able, they all tried to get away from it. And so the people you wanted, who wanted to be on there were probably people who were more supportive of him. And she's like, oh no. And here's another, another juror. And they're all like, oh my, oh my. That was it. You know, it's a lot of senior citizens in general, so. Eight African-American women. It'll be an uphill battle, but I think they'll listen, she thinks.
Yeah, so they got lucky. 75% of the jurors believed that he couldn't have done it. So this is before it even starts because he excelled at football at USC. We are SC. So they're about to walk into the lockup from the courtroom. He looks back one last time. And he said, guys, if this jury convicts me, maybe I did do it. Oh my gosh, don't say things like that, dude. Game time from the trial notes. So they're setting up the beginning of the trial. So this is uh, in 1995, in the spring. And I mean, even just that much amount of time with all the money there is, people working overtime, building a case, like, you know, government employees are never going to have that much power behind them. Yeah, they called this the trial of the century, and it is, uh, it was streamed live like the whole time. I watched a lot of it, not a lot of it, but I watched uh, some of the medical testimony and the DNA testimony. It's like, I was the only person who probably cared about that stuff, but, um, but I was interested in that. And so Darden comes up and uh, he's a prosecutor and they wanted to have like a black prosecutor to, I think, diversify the, you know, committee And, you know, it's an unenviable position to be in. And look at, I mean, look at the headline, Black Man on OJ Prosecution. Not his name, Black. Just, uh, like, dude. <laughs> you know. They say, you know, that you add to make the team better. He's a good trial lawyer. He's smart. He's nervous. You know, I mean, it does. You do look at this sort of like, look, I have a black friend. <laughs> you know, dude, no. There was not an offensive cockiness. This like, the racialized comments are just flying out of there. It's like. <laughs> You know, they're not going to find a bad attorney. Um, since we're in the moments leading up to the uh, 2020 election, of course, Kamala Harris is another prosecutor. Um, and, you know, I think most people, I mean, some people have already voted, but um, 
you know, if I were thinking about her candidacy now and wondering what it was like for her to be a uh, prosecutor, you know, look at someone like Darden and what, you know, what that kind of, you know, position would have been like for her. Because she was doing prosecution. She wasn't a defense lawyer. You know, he, you know, Johnny Cochran has a flair for the dramatic. There's devastating evidence of something far more sinister. Yeah. People love conspiracies. You know, people know about the history of police brutality. People know about racism in the LAPD. I mean, even if, I don't think that's even a controversial thing for me to say, given what we have seen in the footage leading up to this, that that is evident at least in the footage you've seen, and that's the footage other people see too. You know, it is unfortunate that we don't have footage of police being good people. Um, but, you know, like, I think people in that community believed this, certainly. Yeah, that the case was becoming a referendum on the LAPD. And the history of race in LA, which, you know, Chris got it, but like, what's he gonna do? So he investigated police abuse cases. Like, you know, these people having their house trashed. Yeah, so the, you know, the Rodney King case was still in fresh in everybody's minds. So Darden wanted to out Johnny Johnny, as they say. But I mean, how else are you gonna motivate yourself if you're Chris Darden, right? You're a new guy, you're doing this for the first time, you're probably terrified, you're on TV every day, all day. And like, the thing you have to kind of think of is, okay, well, who, who can I embody? Whom can I emulate? And the, there's a guy right there. You know, you can be that, but a prosecution version. You gotta be inspired by somebody. So Furman had used racist language in a way that jurors and everybody else would not like, ugh, I'm sorry that it's in there. So these are um, people talking without the jury present about whether that word should be allowed to be entered into evidence as prejudicial to the jury. And so he, Darden has to give a talk about it. This is how inflamed it is, you know, the black guy has to do the argument. An African-American jury cannot listen to the utterance of that word, they're saying, in some sort of dispassionate, objective way. Which, on the one hand, it's a horrible word. On the other hand, it makes it sound like people are, like, not smart enough to understand. He had to go in and make that case, you know, like, 
All they'll think about is frame up, frame up, frame up. You know, like, but it's not, it's offensive, right? I mean, it's, the word is offensive, but it's also offensive to underestimate black jurors. Like, you know, you have to, you can't have it both ways. You can't be sympathetic and think people aren't capable of understanding what they're talking about. And they're, you know, like, this guy's got, you know, great comments. Are you just carrying the white man's bucket? Yeah, these are not good steps that the prosecution is taking. Yeah, people go out of there thinking, oh, well, yeah, that is a shocking word. I'd never use that word. But, you know, yeah, colleagues are outraged because it's like, it's insulting. Yeah. Like, this guy realized, oh, yeah, wow, <laughs> there are other thoughts. And so now Johnny Co Cochran's going to roll up and say, you know, I got to leave early to go to a funeral and like, and say, oh no, don't use the word articulate. You know, so anyway, here's Johnny Cochran, most re incredible remarks I've heard in the court of law in 32 years. It's demeaning. Yes, exactly. And this is where everything's so messed up. Like, these guys are defending the probable killer of these two people. And, like, and he's the one who looks good. Like, you know, these people seem like better people. You know, the prosecution does not come across as sympathetic. Like, the jury's not there, but, like, you know, you have to bring out your your a, a game you can't yeah there you go you can't justify this in a civilized society oh dude don't say the word it's always hard for me to teach things with this word in them but like it's also important because you can't censor the past. You can't censor things that deserve to be called out as, as wrong and insulting. But you also don't need to re-traumatize anyone. Um, but this is a court case. This is someone's life. Yeah, you have to use words. And yeah, that's a racist thing to say, and they deserve to know that. The subtext of everything Johnny Cochran said, they're saying, was that Chris Darden was an Uncle Tom. Yeah. And that is unfair. Like, if he was a prosecutor who had prosecuted cops, like, this guy wanted good things. <laughs> OJ didn't have much of a reputation as an African-American person. 
I used to walk on the wild side. Now I just take a brisk walk. He's got this t-shirt tucked into his Adidas pants. Oh my gosh, it's really kind of nerdy. Yeah, he's just kind of a big nerd. He lived two blocks from the mayor. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, okay, well, let's have the, uh, the jury see the crime scene. Well, if we do that, we have to go to OJ's house. If they do, just show them where they found the glove. That's all that's re relevant there, because that's the only thing that would be considered part of a crime scene. However, something ridiculous happened. So Eater was going to let them into OJ's house, like a little celebrity tour. No part of the crime happened in the house. What are we doing there? It's, it's tour of celebrity houses. And this part is kind of gross. Well, it's all gross. So when you would walk up the grand staircase, you have pictures of the family. Everybody's white except OJ. Everybody's white except OJ. Everybody's white except OJ, etc. Overwhelming majority. We're of Caucasian friends and colleagues of his. Yes, correct. Oh, there. Well, that, that was there. I do think, though, like the fact that they showed a picture of him with, with Trump, part of that is there because now that Trump is in the public eye, like all the time, um, like anytime you can show a picture of him, it gets a reaction from people. And so, like, you know, I don't think it's making a point necessarily that he was involved in anything. But yeah, so what they did was they found every time he'd been photographed with a black friend and put him in there. And then they had the Ruby Bridges um, integration lithograph, and they make it seem like the most important image there. So they staged his, his house. The whole house would have been gone, this guy. <laughs> It would have been dark. <laughs> yeah, they changed it all, and it just looks, you know, it, it looked like a, you know, an African-American man's house. And so it looked exciting. It looked like the kind of place where you would want to be invited if you were on the jury. Well, you know damn well he has never had this many black people on his wall his entire life. And he's like, Marsha, what are you talking about? But they're lawyers, and they get, if they get away with it, they, they get away with it. And of course, it makes her mad, and she just looks like an angry person, which is going to be bad for them, too. Oh, dude. If you, somebody's paying you a million dollars to defend you, though, that's just the kind of thing you do. I objected. We went outside. We convened a hearing in the guy's yard. It was never relevant, and now it's even worse. But the judge, that's what they do. The judge needs to stop them. This judge did not, it sounds like. And they even let him go. Like, why would he even be allowed there? He gets to hang out in his house? He's in prison for murder. Yeah, the fandom is amazing. 
mean, this becomes a vehicle for people to be heard. And people deserve to be heard. That's the thing that sucks, is like, this is, this ends up being the case where p black people who are in pain, you know, like, get to speak out and be heard. But, like, it's a case where these people were murdered. It was probably this guy. And eventually, in the um, civil suit, he's found guilty. So he isn't, you know, well, anyway. It becomes clear as the documentary progresses. But, um, you know, like, there's, there's no evidence pointing toward anyone other than him at any point. And there's a lot of evidence. You know, and there is a but. Yep. Yeah, and people see this and they go, nope. Yeah, you made the top house in Beverly Hills, but you're still going to get brought down as soon as, you know, as soon as they can get away with it. Yep. So yeah, this is, uh, you know, the beginning of the court case. This is um, a court case that would eventually get even more uh, publicly visible and even more challenging. Um, and, you know, this, this documentary traces an entire career. So uh, stay tuned and we will get through episode four together. Thanks.